about that? I don't know why pastors feel like things have to rhyme. I don't, something's wrong with us. Crosses and losses make sense to me. Uh, in Chronicles 12, tell me when you're there, say there. Chronicles 12, these were the men who came to David at Ziklag while he was banished from the presence of Saul, son of Kish. They were among the warriors who helped him in battle. They were armed with bows and were able to shoot arrows or sling stones, right-handed or left-handed. Oh my goodness. I, I had one of those days today where uh, I realized that I have been very busy lately and I am missing something. Uh, I hope this doesn't uh, shock you, but ministers are often very worst in applying what they preach. And I have been pouring out, sharing the revelation that God's given me, and um, I found today that all I could really remember, all I really had to draw from, were things that had happened in previous years. That's not good. That's not okay. It's You don't want to be handed something that you should be laboring for in your prayer closet. You don't want somebody, Jay called it a chewed sandwich one day when I was talking to him. You don't want a sandwich somebody else has already chewed up. And I don't want to give you that. So Dustin and I came here and we're supposed to be talking about all kinds of things. And I said, do you love me? I mean, could we just, could we just shut up for a while and pray? Right? Sometimes this is the best thing that you can do. You can get busy doing things for Jesus everywhere. You can, before long, Somebody's tried to turn you into a building contractor. You begin to think of yourself in some way other than what God called you. And what He called us to do was excite people about the kingdom. To preach the power of the cross and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And it's been that way since the beginning. And before long, it's easy to get distracted. So I opened the Chronicles 12 after, I don't know, a while of prayer. And this is a very simple message. So... I'm not going to wow you tonight. What I am going to share with you is what I think is fresh vision from heaven. Could you handle some of that? Amen. These were the men that came to David at Ziklag while he was banished. When I thought about David being banished, God himself has proclaimed David king of Israel. Not one or two years before, but many years before, God said, David is king. He did it through the prophet Samuel. And now there is a king who God has said the kingdom's being torn out of your hands. He is being ousted while one king is supposed to be rising. But to the whole world, who is the king that is in power? Saul. What a beautiful picture for where we stand right now. During this time, Hebrews 2.8 tells us that everything is subject to Christ. But we don't see that, do we? When you drive down 45 doing one of those tours that you do, Cody, explain it, or 59 and Bissonette, explaining to people about sex trade and what's happening with women prostituting themselves and the victimization of our youth and those things. Does that seem subject to Jesus to you? It doesn't to me either. It's grieving, isn't it? But Hebrews goes on to say, we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels, now raised to the right hand of God. We see that. So we see the hope of a man in the Godhead, the fullness of the deity. And it tells us where things are headed. These people who came to David at Ziklag, they saw something. 
Now, the truth is they couldn't see it with their eyes. They had to kind of feel it somewhere. They had to almost know for sure that something was certain that they could not yet see with their eyes. They believed a promise that David would become king over all of Israel. And they came to him when it was not immediately apparent. I believe this is right where we are. And so I began to look at these men, and I was kind of surprised. Look at verse 18. Then the Spirit came upon Amasiah, chief of the 30. And he said, by the way, David organized his men just like Jesus did. He had a small group of three, he had a larger group of 30, and then he had a group of hundreds and then thousands. The same way Jesus sat people in 50s and hundreds, or in 12 and then in 70. He organized them in what one pastor recently called circles of proximity. How much of his life he could share with each of them. The Spirit came upon Amasiah, chief of the 30, and he said, We are yours, O David. We are with you, O son of Jesse. Success, success to you and success to those who help you, for your God will help you. So David received them. Glory to God. You think it took a step for them to go call on David? I mean, they had to leave the comforts that they were in. They had to go against an existing king with an existing army and they had to go risk their lives, their family, their fortune, whatever it might be, and attach themselves to David. That is one level of faith. Of course, you can read in other places they were distressed, they were indebted, they were discontented. So they had found themselves unhappy with Saul's kingdom and that gave them an incentive. But David received them. It's a miracle that many of you have come to the Lord. It's a miracle that I'm there. I mean, it is, it is a miracle beyond... There's nobody who knew me in that life that would have said, that one is definitely going to come to the Lord. Nobody. This is the life-changing power of the gospel. But as much of a miracle as it is that Brent or Kevin or Joel came to Jesus, it's an even bigger universal, earth-shaking thing that David received these men or that Jesus received us. Think about that. You get to the first chapter of John. Oh, I think it's probably about the 12th verse. As many as received him, he gave the right to become sons of God. The acceptance by Jesus was based on their acceptance of him. When they saw that he was king, when they saw that it was Lord, He gave them the right to become something more than what they already were. Oh man, are we tracking tonight just a little bit? To the extent that you can receive Jesus as Lord in every area of your life, the extent that you can submit to Him in every area of your life, in every area of your life, He will make you more than you were. When he found you. Amen. Receiving him, and better than that, him receiving you does something. You know, this revelation came in Acts. By the time you get to uh, the 10th chapter of Acts, the 47th verse, the Jews are marveling at something. They said, So then, can we keep these men from being baptized since they have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? It was not enough that they were willing to receive Jesus, Jesus showed He received them 
by pouring back into their lives. I believe this is where our ministry is. To the extent that you receive His Lordship, He will pour back into your life. I'm not speaking about the carnality that others speak about. I don't care if He ever gives me a dollar. You know what He's done? He's freed me from the shackles of sin. I no longer have to obey mere animal instincts. I no longer am a slave I have been set free. I have the ability to look in the devil's face and say, no. And you do too. Do you remember when it was that you didn't have that? Some of you might still be there now. When you said, I never want to do that again. I never want to be in this place again. But you knew when you said it. You were going to be there again. Now, I'm not just talking to the addict. I'm talking to the sin. To the extent you can receive His Lordship, to the extent that you can say over every habit, over every vice, over every area of your life, I need you, Jesus. And if you'll receive me, I call you my King. And more than call you, I live like you're my King. I'll leave that world. I will risk it for you. I will bring whatever weapons are at my disposal. And truthfully, you're the one that put them in my hands. And I will serve you. He pours back into your life. I couldn't believe that not only did they come to Him, but He received them. And what did He do? What's that next word? And made them leaders of what? Raiding bands. Who did they raid, friends? What were they doing? I want to tell you something. King Jesus has received you. And He didn't receive you to make you a trophy on His wall. He didn't receive you just because you're pretty or handsome. He received you to put you to work. If you are in Christ, you are a leader. If you are in Christ, you are a man, a man or a woman that men should follow. If you are in Christ, you are the light of the world. And He will use you to lead raiding parties against hell and snatch goats from the devil and turn them into sheep the same way that He did with you. Amen. So never again are we simply distressed or indebted because the King has received us. The King has received us. He put His Spirit in you. And why? Because you have become part of His raiding party. Amen. Oh my goodness, he would take men who were fit for nothing and he would make them thieves of souls, Matthew. We had not been born again 24 hours as being arrested for raiding the gates of hell. Because when the Holy Ghost enters you, I'm sorry, Pentecostal charismatics, it's not just so that we can pray in other tongues and I love it. It's not just so we can prophesy, and I love that. It's so that you can be His witness. His witness in Judea. His witness in Samaria. His witness to the ends of the very earth. And He expects you to go. He expects it. He made you a part of His raiding party. Oh my goodness. We have a purpose. Everywhere you look, the harvest is ripe. It's ripe. You can recognize the same stink that was on you was on them. And it's time to steal from the kingdom of hell. It's time. He's been building you. He's been nourishing you. He's been feeding you. 
And now he wants work from you. This was the word he gave me. Let us look at verse 22. Day after day, men came to help David until he had what kind of army? Pitiful, pathetic, sad, apathetic. What kind of army? A great army. Like what? Like the army of God. God's will is obeyed in the heavens. May your will be done on earth as it is in the heavens. When God says go, the angels go. When he says stop, they stop. And we are to become an army on the earth like the hosts of heaven. Amen. This means that His Word is no longer optional for us. And how often do you do it? Once in a year, at a crusade, at a mission trip, He said daily they were being added. We are seeing salvation almost daily here. That means we have room for improvement. Soon they'll be knocking on your door asking, how do I get saved? Daily. What else happens daily in the Bible? What is it about daily? When you get to Luke uh, 9.23, I usually quote this from other places, but in Luke it says it different. In Luke 9.23 he says, anyone who would come after me must take up his cross and follow me daily. You want to be in the army of the Lord, you must daily die on that cross. Because it means that you no longer have the free will that God gave us. We have merged our will with His. If He says witness, you witness. If he says go, you go. If he says stop, you stop. We no longer have the right to sit and debate whether it's good for us. He purchased our life off of a bloody cross. Amen. We've talked so much about the power of the Holy Ghost lately. And man, that is good. The Holy Ghost comes for one reason. It's to magnify Jesus. To make you a witness of His bloody atonement and powerful resurrection. The Holy Ghost is not here for our partner tricks. The Holy Ghost is not just here for healing. He's not just here to empower you to speak with new tongues, and I hope all of you do. If you don't see me in your will, He is here to empower you to preach, to teach, to live the awesome truth of His crucifixion and resurrection. To see people saved, to raid hell. Amen. Amen. This is daily. By the time you get to Acts 2, oh my goodness, do I love Acts 2. And I love those who love Acts 2. By the time you get to Acts 2.44, we have a scene where the brothers have everything in common because they died to everything in this world. They were DCD before there was a DCD. They begin giving what they have for the needs of all. And you know how heaven responded. He added to their number daily. You want to see daily growth in your life, daily growth in the church, daily growth in anointing? Everything you have is on the table, period. Everything. Whatever you save and reserve is what He's not Lord of. And whatever He's not Lord of is one more area of your life that you cannot receive from Him. I don't want from you. I'm not jealous for what you have. I don't want anything, friends. I want to plunder hell. I want to make a mark with the one life He's given me. I do not want what you have. But 
I know that the man who retains his life loses it. I know this because my Lord said it. And that makes it a fact. But the man who gives away his life, he finds life. He gains everything worth giving. Worth living, worth having. Jim Fleming, I'm sorry, Jim Elliot, said he is no fool who gives away what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Oh, something rings in my spirit of the truth of that. I didn't get to hear him say it. He already gave all he had. It's a heart hurt. You will stand in the halls singing the great Hallel's of the heavenly kingdom with men like that and their children who went back and forgave the men that killed their father and the widow who found life even in the death of her husband. Oh, what area of your life do you have left to give him that you might receive from him? These are the numbers of men armed for battle who came to David at Hebron. Oh, Jesus, you have to hear this. If you're thinking of something else, stop it. These are the numbers of men who came armed for battle to David at Hebron to turn Saul's kingdom over to him, to David. Why did you get born again? Why are you serving Jesus? Is it for your best life now? I say hell no. Is it for what reason that this kingdom that is being falsely occupied by a satanic soul spirit is turned over to the sons of God and the king that God chose? That is why we are here. Amen. That is our purpose. That is why he put his spirit in you. It was not to have a warm, fuzzy experience at an altar. It was to ignite a passion in your soul with the Holy Ghost power to witness. This kingdom is being occupied by a liar, a murderer, a thief, a destroyer of lies. And now the king, the king who is anointed but is banished from this world. The king who is king in God's eyes but not yet in men has received you. And he's received you for a purpose. That purpose was to go out and raid hell. That purpose was to take this kingdom that Satan bragged. And he said, do you see all these? They've been given to me. Oh my God, now that we've been filled with the power of heaven, that you could look at him and laugh and say, watch me take them. Amen. We are supposed to be plundering, to be stealing from the thief. We are supposed to be restoring lives. How can we sit on our salvation and be pampered in our prosperity when we are so called? He who wins souls is wise. What does that make the rest of us? Well, you paid someone to do it. You prayed for someone to do it. But he purchased you to do it. To turn Saul's kingdom to him. 
as the Lord has said. As I began to pray about this, one revelation flushed into me, and maybe this is not a revelation to anyone else. In fact, I'm sure it's not, especially those of you that know me well. I don't know what I'm doing. I was on my knees. I said, Lord, as I look at this, I've gotten nearly every major aspect wrong. And you are still healing. You are still saving. But I don't know why you use me. I wouldn't use me. I'd be happier. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be. I can't even say that. That's a lie. I've never been any happier than I am right now. I'm happy to fail and watch him make me succeed. I feel like the test is being graded on a curve. Can you imagine Sean being dragged before a judge? He looks familiar. Because when your attorney walks in, you see your attorneys of the same substance as the judge. He says, you may approach the bench. And you get up there. And your attorney says, Dad. How you doing? This is our scenario. It is being graded on a curve. It is. And then you looked around for the prosecuting attorney. And the judge was so displeased with him, he threw him from the courtroom. This verse was the revelation to me. It's verse 32. Men of Issachar who understood the times and who knew what Israel should do. 200 chiefs with all their relatives under their command. In all of Israel, in the tribe of Issachar, what came to David was only 200 who both understood the times and knew what to do. Now, I was right here on my face. Dustin was right over there. I don't know what you were praying about, Dustin. I wasn't paying attention. Might have been praying, God bless that baby roof bar. But what I was praying is, Lord, I think I understand the times. And I thank you... I think you're showing me what to do. But I'm not getting a lot of affirmation ever. I don't know. I need you to tell me. And when I opened and I read this, I said, it's always been a small number of people that understood the times and knew what to do. Well, how is it that the kingdom gets built then? Well, it's because of this next verse. They're not alone. They're not alone at all. God doesn't need you to understand the times. He doesn't need you to know what to do. He says, men of Zebulun, experienced soldiers, prepared for battle with every type of weapon to help David with what? Undivided loyalty. If your brother standing next to you knows what to do, you don't have to know what to do. You just have to be ready to fight and do what he does. You just have to not run when the battle happens. You just have to not want something in the enemy's camp. All you have to do is follow the path of the righteous. I don't need affirmation. What I need is to follow my king in the battle. And what he is adding are those with undivided hearts. That's why I can stand on the stage on a Wednesday night and look out and see that nearly every man, woman, and child in the building is worshiping in a spiritual way and entering in. He's added to us those with undivided hearts. As I began to think about that, you know, Hebrews 13 teaches to obey your leaders. You know, it says to submit to them and all of those wonderful things. James tells us not many of you should become leaders. 
I began to kind of rack my mind through the scripture. And always the first scriptures that come to me are the ones that he's spoken to me. And when he spoke to me about Acts 16 all those years ago, Paul was the only one who got the vision in Acts 16. He saw a vision of a Macedonian man saying, come over here. But Luke was with him. And Timothy was with him. And whoever else was with him said, we concluded God had called us to go. It's always been that only 200 out of a nation knew what to do. But God would call untold thousands who would give undivided loyalty to a vision. Friends, I'm going to be more deliberate about presenting the vision that God has given me and that He's given the leaders in the church. And I'm going to ask for your undivided loyalty to Jesus that is expressed, as Paul said, in this way. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I'm going to acknowledge to you up front, I don't have any more clue than heaven gives me. But I can assure you that my life has demonstrated whatever heaven gives me. I will say to hell with the world and everything in it to follow that heavenly voice. Is there anybody in here that knows me that questions that? So we're going to lay aside debates for a while. And we are going to plow the field and plant the seed. And we will see the revival harvest God has called. Amen. Only God can give a harvest, yes? Yes. Only God can give the harvest, yes? Yes. Is it any different when a farmer plants? Isn't it God that gives the increase? So why does the farmer plant? Oh, because we know that if we will stretch forward in faith, he will meet us with the produce of heaven. Amen. I'm saying it's time to stretch forward in faith. It's time to tell the relative that you've been shying away from about the power of Calvary. It's time to knock on the neighbor's door. It's time to approach the man in the mall. It's time to stop at the post office and ask somebody if they have considered their life in the hands of God. If we will sow the seed, if we will plow the field, if we will stretch forward, Heaven will meet us with increase. Amen. Has there not been Holy Ghost rain in here? Yeah. Has there not been the dew of heaven falling upon you? Amen. What's it for? What's it for? Is it for your entertainment? Is it so we can brag to our friends? Is it so that we can look very spiritual? His anointing is here to give you a story to tell. And a story to tell with passion. A story to tell about how you were delivered from darkness into the kingdom of light. This is where we're headed. It's not because I want to build a big church. You have my absolute commitment that if our church hits 500, there will be another church at 501 people, if not before. I didn't want to pastor this many people. I wanted to go be a minister, a missionary to headhunter cannibals. I got on one of Lester Summerall's ships, and if I had not gotten married a week earlier, I never would have got off of it a beautiful blonde waiting at home and dreams of children. It was still very hard. But I gave up my right to choose my path. <coughs> he chooses it. And he's caused our paths to intersect for a reason. Yeah. I would like to tell you that Ezekiel 11, 19 teaches that the Spirit, you can put that on the screen. I might not be able to quote that one. It teaches that the Spirit of God will come on a person for a for a purpose, to give you an undivided heart, to keep His decrees. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. 
I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. This is the work of the regenerating power of the Spirit. It happens when you have crucified your sinful nature on the cross of Calvary with Christ and He has received you by giving you His powerful Holy Spirit. And this is altogether new. For the first time in your life, you have power to do what He's told you to do. Before that, you knew the good that you should do. And you were absolutely powerless to do it. Yeah. But that is not our position now. And if it is your position this time, let us deal with your sin. Let us get past this now. Because there's a kingdom waiting to be plundered out there. And there is a wicked prince over it who has lied and stolen not just from them, but you. Let me ask you something. Were you always nice little Christians? I mean, I don't... I haven't known all of you all that long. And the truth is, I cannot picture Suzanne saying an ugly word to save my life. But at some point, in even her life, in that unregenerate nature, there had to be a little bit of pushback. Somewhere in there, there had to be a, you back me into a corner, you're going to get the claws. You know how I do that? That's human nature. I want to tell you that the Holy Ghost has changed my nature, but nothing has changed my resolve to push back against the one who has stolen from me, the one who has lied to me, the one who is destroying the lives of my friends and family. I got a brother I love so much. I mean, I I grew up with this guy. I met him at nine years old on a tennis court. And he's deceived. And I've watched the wool slipped over his eyes. And I've seen him, and now he's flailing around like a man who doesn't know where he is, calling himself led by the Lord. And it's so the devil. There's no such thing as the devil incarnate. I mean, you may have called your mother-in-law that at some point, but it's not true. <laughs> what there are is there are puppets and there is a puppet master. It's high time that you go cut those strings. Yeah. It's high time that you liberate lives. It's high time that you pay him back for what he's done to you and your friends and family. And the Lord has given you the power to do it. He has. He has given it to you as surely as he gave Israel the promised land. He has given you this land. Do you know how you know it? He planted you here. And everywhere you set your foot, the kingdom advances. Our prayer is thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This means as you put forward your foot, God answers that prayer and his kingdom is established in the preaching of his kingdom and the obedience and the receiving of him as king. Amen. But how can they hear if we will not preach? This brings us to the 38th verse of Chronicles 12. All these were fighting men. God didn't call not one single surrenderer in here. Anybody in here from France? Praise God, this message will preach better. <coughs> no Swiss, there's no neutral here. He's called Holy Ghost Warriors. And you know what? You need to look at that verse. You volunteered. You hear me? He didn't enlist you. 
Oh, he may have sent the Holy Ghost recruiter called the evangelist. But you volunteered. What do you call a man who volunteers, signs up, makes the commitment, then deserts the battle? Now, he's got nothing ahead of him except the fearful expectation of the brig. I want to be honorably discharged from the Lord's service in this life. I want him to receive me into his kingdom. And I hope to God to bear on my body something that is worthy of standing next to those men for eternity. Because they got their lashes. They got their crucifixions. They got their fellowship in the sufferings of Christ. And thus far, my life has been pretty darn easy. I'm going to have to stand next to them forever and ever and ever. I don't want to be the little boy at the big boy's table. You volunteered as a warrior. You're going to make good on your commitment. They came to Hebron partially committed. They came fully determined. Maybe therein lies our problem, isn't it? We're partially determined. If the weather's right, if our friends are going. We sing, though none go with me, but even in our altar calls in here, I'm working to figure out how to get control of our altar. Because it seems for every one salvation, we have six attendees. I love you. I'm glad you're all praying. But if somebody can't stand up and walk this 25 feet without attendees, how are they going to walk out the next 50 years of their life? I know our tendency is to want to make this as easy as possible. I have no such inclination. There was nobody there the day I got saved. There was nobody there the day Matthew got saved. In fact, most people I know that got radically born again and have run with me for a couple decades now, Nobody was there making it easy. They came to the gut-wrenching conclusion that they were dead men. The power of the Holy Ghost descended upon us in conviction. And we died. And the voice of God spoke into our darkness and caused us to live again. And we ran right out and told everybody we did. I stormed out of my house for it. Matthew was persecuted among his family members for it. Our other closest friend was thrown out of his house for it. Walked off of an LSU football team after earning a spot while prophesying to the coach he would lose his job. And he did. I'm not interested in making it easy. I'm interested in making it clear. I think every man ought to know where they stand. I thought we ought not beat around the bush with, well, I think maybe he's probably sort of kind of saved. I mean, his mama says he is. I don't think we ought to do that. I aim to make my position clear and theirs as clear as the Lord makes it to me. How many of you got born again without being challenged in any way? See, most of us had to have somebody challenge our position. The kingdom is not full of daffodils and daisy lions. It's not. It's Holy Ghost hardened soldiers that love the Lord more than they fear men. They're willing to be thrown into a well for the favor of the Father. And the world is good at crucifying saints. They've been doing it a long time. The fact that we have not endured persecution doesn't speak 
to their lack of resolve, it speaks to our lack of fully being determined. You want to make a ripple? You want to make a dent? You want a tsunami tidal wave? I'm going to say, say it loud and say it long. I'm going to say, be bold about it. If somebody's cursing in the line next to you, maybe you can pray in the Holy Ghost for a while next to them. They're praising their God well enough. Why don't you praise yours? I'm saying, when did the lion of the tribe of Judah become such a house cat? He didn't, friends. It's his volunteer army that was fickle. All these were fighting men who volunteered to serve in the ranks. They came to Hebron fully determined to what? To ask David to be king, to invite people to be king. What did they come to do? Make David king. There are times we need to stop asking and start making. Something's under the authority of your roof. Stop asking and take the authority that God gave you. Something's under the authority of your employ. Stop asking and start making. Because we make disciples, friends. We don't ask disciples. We make David king. Say, oh, but what about free will? <laughs> make sure that you have made it clear. Make sure. Can you imagine that somebody will have lived next to you for 20 years lost while you enjoyed and frolicked and basked in the glory of the kingdom? They would inherit hell and you not be able to say, I made your position clear. You knew you were in a different kingdom than me and I told you. Oh, I don't want one human being to be able to say that to me. You know, new Christians are the best at this. We say they have zeal without knowledge. At least they have zeal. Too many of us have got so much knowledge that our zeal has faded. I just want to encourage you that the Holy Ghost that moves on you to open deaf ears, the Holy Ghost that moves upon you to heal little girls' stomachs or to heal Lacey's hand, the Holy Ghost that moves on you to do all of those things, primary purpose is to magnify the name of Jesus. This is what He does. And He will remind you of the words Jesus spoke there was one more thing that came from this. By the way, fully determined looks like Acts 21. Do you remember in Acts 21, Agabus comes over, he takes off his belt, he binds Paul's hands and said, oh, the Jews of Jerusalem are going to bind the owner of this belt like this. Do you remember what Paul's best buddies did? They did everything they could to talk him out of going. He said, man, why are you breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to go, but to die. Luke writes in Acts, we saw that he could not be dissuaded. We consented and let him go. Can you be dissuaded? I'm telling you, become fully determined. Of course you're going to get flack. Of course there's going to be shrapnel. Of course people are going to call you harsh or ugly. They call Jesus a drunken demon possessed. Of course you're going to get resistance. That's because you've become dangerous to the enemy. Set your resolve now. Can we get an amen in a quiet room for that? Amen. Set your resolve now. Amen. Look, I'm going to be honest. I could have preached so many things, but this is what the Lord gave me to preach. And I like it. I'm not at all ashamed of it. Look, if you're laboring under some delusion that I'm something other than this, this is, this is me. 
This is the pastor that God drew you to. This is the heart of Eric Stevens. My wife sitting in the room can attest to it. My best friends are here. The elders that have known me since I was knee-high to a grass. This is all there is. Look, if this is the wrong flight for you, grab your parachute and jump off now, but we're not landing. This is where we're going. It's going to make some uncomfortable. It's going to thrill and inspire others. But it's the vision God gave me. The last part of this verse, the last part of the 12th chapter. I don't know what verse that is. It looks like 40. Also their neighbors, as far as way as Issachar, Zebulun, and Naphtali, came bringing food on donkeys, camels, mules, and oxen. There were plentiful supplies of flour, figs, cakes, raisins, wine, oil, cattle, and sheep. For there was... There was... First John 5 teaches us that the commands of God are not burdensome. I want to tell you that you ought to be able to pick out a Christian because in the midst of the blood and guts of spiritual warfare, there is a smile on his face. You ought to be able to pick out a Christian because of an unconquerable joy. In John 17, while Jesus was speaking with his Father, he said, I'm saying all of these things so that my joy may be complete in you. We are supposed to be anointed with the oil of joy. Otherwise, how do you look any different than men who are struggling against various things? We struggle with joy. That means that you can cast out a demon while smiling. It means that you can heal the most vilest disease while laughing. It means that you can be serious as a heart attack, but gentle as a dove while you do it. Are you hearing me, saints? Militant and joyful don't really go together. But if you could have some kind of combination of the seriousness of a soldier and the joy of a father, think you would begin to understand the personality of Jesus. I know in the movies it's oh, and you know, he's just got like big super spiritual eyes and little dainty features and stuff. That's because they never met. That is not the spirit that filled me and the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus. Oh, I think he's the stuff of legend, the masculine holiness of the Almighty God. Oh, Jesus. You have a few more seconds for me? Yeah. yeah. This was the reminder that the Holy Ghost gave me. It's funny. You give him 45 minutes of undivided time, and he'll give you a lifetime of vision. He is not slack in supplying what we need. We are slack in going to him. I want to give you three things that are on my mind. Some of these have scriptures, some don't. This is nothing more than pastor's prerogative. Can you have a minute for pastor's prerogative? As I have been dwelling on power, because we've been speaking about it so much, it so happens that Dustin turned on a, a tape or CD or whatever they are. It wasn't an 8-track, was it, Dustin? It wasn't a, a 45 record. Huh? And a man was preaching. He said that he gave an altar call. and He said, if you would like the power of the Holy Spirit, come to the right side of the road. If you would like the purity of God, come to the left side of the road. Ten to one, they lined up for power over purity. 
Oh, it hurts my heart to hear that. What good is Pablo without purity? It's completely corruptible. You end up with men who are drunk on a stage healing people. You end up with men who are sleeping with secretaries while preaching salvation. You end up with men that are uncorrectable while correcting everyone else. And you say, how? And yet Jesus said it would be so. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter my kingdom. Do you remember the excuses they gave? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we prophesy? The place where power grows is in purity. Matthew 5, 8 says that the pure in heart will see God. This word see is not just lay eyes on Him. It's an understanding. It's a comprehension. It's an almost grasping of Him. The pure heart, the unmixed heart with the world is the one that power was meant to dwell in. This is why we're told that a wife without actions can win over her husband by what? The purity of her heart, it says. It's why Paul was telling Timothy, Set an example in life and in speech, in love and in purity. Purity and power have a relationship. We are not seeking the power of God for the sake of the power of God. Seek the heart of God. Seek the purity of God. Seek the fullness of Calvary. And He will fill you with all the power you could ever need because you will be able to wield it. The way that you might say this is we need to stop wanting the gift while neglecting the giver. We've been refusing crosses and losses while we ask for blessings. And I want to tell you, crosses and losses are necessary for the maturity to handle power. James said it. Trials are the only way that you press into maturity and complete. We need to be reminded that suffering comes before glory. We need to be reminded that there are no shortcuts in the kingdom. Think about what the devil offered Jesus. He offered him everything God was already going to give him faster than God was going to give it to him. Is Jesus hungry right now? No. Is, is Jesus injured right now? Is, is Jesus uh, needing to prove that he has authority? Right now? God gave him everything that the devil offered him, but the devil offered it to him at the beginning of his ministry. I'm going to tell you, young men, something just as bluntly as I can. If you were ready for full-time ministry, God would have put you in full-time ministry. It's a funny thing. Somebody gets filled with the Holy Ghost. They begin to hunger for His Word. They have not been laboring in the kingdom two years. And they're going, you know, I just I don't know how I can work and, and, and also do this. It is that grind that gives you the character that you need to be able to do it. Don't kick against it. Do a good job at your work. Be a part of a raiding party at your work. The clergy is full of men who ran from the secular workforce. They were raptured from responsibility and they hid in a spiritual safety deposit box and they are cowards. <coughs> Show me a pastor that has calluses on his hands. And you've got one that will get my attention. Because men of God ought not be scared of work. The first thing I wanted you to remember is purity and power go together. Let us not seek one without the other. The second is to be truly filled. To have a Holy Ghost meeting, right? We dance our little jig, you know. Holy Ghost meeting. 
is none of that. The Holy Ghost meeting is the one that you leave so full of the power of heaven that you cannot help but tell everyone around you. Amen. That is a Holy Ghost meeting. Amen. Holy Ghost meetings are not the Assemblies of God Church. It's not the Pentecostals of Alexandria. A Holy Ghost meeting is none of those things. The Holy Ghost is the power of God to witness Jesus. Amen. The fact that you speak in tongues is a bonus. The fact that you prophesy is a necessary bonus, but it, it is a bonus. The power of the Holy Ghost was to cause you to witness the crucifixion. We cannot forget that. And charismatics are the worst at it. We really are. There are times we mention the Holy Ghost 10 to 1 over Jesus. And you know who would be most displeased with that? The Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. He never glorified himself. He came to glorify Jesus. I'm not interested in being a prayerless program promoter. I felt very convicted in my spirit today. As soon as we have impossible things to do, you start thinking of schemes to do it in. I think when we seek the heart of God, He will give us what we need. I want to be an empowered witness. Here's another one that ought to minister to you. If it doesn't, then you're just different than me. I like to set up tents with Zeke. I like to build things. I like to go lose myself in work. But in my life, I have often substituted sweat for unction. I've accomplished something because I was tenacious and not necessarily because the Lord said to do it. Those of you that are put together like me, well, you would rather knock down a wall than stand and study it. I want to encourage you to pause. Ask the Lord what He wants of you. Because at the end of the day, everything will be burned up in a fire except what He asked you to do for Him. Are you hearing me? In my life, I have way too often substituted sweat for a moment. I think the two have a relationship. I think He will divinely enable you to pour yourself out. But just pouring yourself out into any task is a dangerous thing. How do you know it's not the distraction of the enemy from what you are most called to do. Here comes our last point. I think we need to take crosses over crowns. I think all you are hearing preached, all that is surrounding us, is that the Lord is blessing you in what you bless. And what I hear in the gospel is a call to die. That sounds morbid to you. And yet, it's in losing our lives that we find life. Hebrews 11 is full of the destitute and the afflicted, not the pampered and the prospered. Are you hearing me? Destitute and afflicted, not pampered and prospered. So, oh, well, you seek first the kingdom, everything will be added. Yes, this is the end of the story, friends. How many people do you know that are 20 and are trying to live like they're 50? <coughs> Got two cars and a house and they have a mountain of debt. We have a generation that wants immediate gratification and we need to learn that the cross comes before the crown. Anything worth having is worth suffering to get. Anything worth achieving for God cannot be done in the easy way. I'm going to tell you one more thing. Crazy word of faith people like me have begun confessing our rights and we have stopped confessing our sins. 
See, we've said, I declare that we will be blessed in the name of the Lord without realizing that the path to that blessing is the crucifying of your sinful nature. We have said, I declare that the Lord wants me the head and not the tail. And we have forgotten that the way you get to the head is to sit at the feet. I think it's time that we reevaluate churchianity around us. And we address these issues in our heart. Because if you will hurt for it, the Lord will give you revival. Amen. I can feel it. Can y'all not feel it? Yes. Don't you Amen. know what tide has turned? Yes. Yes. Amen. Well, I just got to tell you, you can study any major revival, and there are a lot of people that asked for it, but most didn't want it when it actually got there. Lots of pastors of first this, that, or the other prayed for it. Some even traveled as far away as Wales to get it. But when it came, they were not a part of it because it didn't look like they planned. I, I cannot be, I don't, I cannot miss this. Steve, you can't miss it. If you didn't expect pampered prosperity and you got it, you'd be blessed. But if that's what you were called to, that was the salvation prayer. And the cross lay between you and it. Don't you think that is the pathway for a great apostasy? Has the stage ever been more so set? There's never been a wholesale abandonment of preaching of suffering as there has been in the last 20 years. Maybe the last thing that I have to tell you is that our king is not looking for stars and storytellers. These great demagogues on a stage, these bigger-than-life heroes, these men that you could not bear to stand in their shadow, he's not looking for that. He's simply looking for men who will carry around the death of Christ that others might find the life of Christ. Amen. I'm going to tell you the truth. I've had the chance now to stand before a lot of great men of God. But the ones that I respect the most are the ones that nobody knows their names. And most of them have never worn shoes and are in other countries. And I can feel the power of God oozing out of them because there's not an ounce of pride in them. I'm just going to encourage you to turn off your TVs. Maybe to stop buying everybody's famous books. You want to buy a book, I would like you to suggest that it's 100 years old or you don't read it. Not only will it make you smarter, but it's before this flood of sewer entered the church. Thanks. Maybe, maybe the place for us to end tonight. We did not do communion Sunday. And there's a reason We didn't put in our church bylaws when we had to do communion. <laughs> because if I'm not led of the Holy Ghost, I'm nothing. And Sunday, my feeling was lots of people needed to be saved. And if we did communion beforehand, lots of people would take communion that didn't really know what they were doing. I didn't want that on my hands. I asked two other men that I respect, what do you feel the Lord has everybody? We vetoed it. Good to see the <coughs> confirmed. I wanted to have a family meeting tonight where I reminded you of the spirit with which God founded this ministry. We're going to accept lots of new ideas. We're going to move in some new directions. God has brought refining influences into our lives. But the core of our character will not change because God built us as He wanted us to be. We'll focus on one life. We'll see it grow to a family. We'll see it take over a nation. But we're going to get more organized about doing it. 
communion is, as one man said, not such a vertical event, more of a horizontal event. This is our connection with each other as we relate to Christ. I mean, it has a vertical element, but this is our commitment together in covenant to be undivided about the things of the kingdom. It has elements of a Jewish wedding in it. It has elements of Passover in it. And that was all intended. The Jewish wedding was a lifelong commitment and began with a glass of wine that was shared. Passover brought you from death to life. It was a new beginning. And it had to do with four glasses of wine and the body of the lamb. All of these elements converged that night that Jesus taught it. They actually seemed to have done it a day early, which was a practice of rabbis who wanted to teach other rabbis how to do it. I think that the Spirit of God is calling you to a commitment on a little bit higher plane. <coughs> to not come in and be entertained, to not come in and be blessed, but to come in and join the work. Yeah. I'm going to ask you to do something that's not just take communion with me tonight. It's seriously pray and make a decision before you leave the building that you either will or won't do it. Because you'll pray, feel led, and then be talked out of that leading between now and then. Seriously pray about showing up here, I don't know, maybe 6 o'clock, maybe 7 o'clock. We'll even take you as late as 8 o'clock to pray for the harvest on a Sunday morning. So, oh, Eric, it's our only day of the week. You think my week looks different than yours? If we can't begin to pray, to press into the heavens, to find out God's will for us as individuals, you're going to be left taking my leftovers. And we will become so much more when you're personally empowered from the throne. I hope you're all praying every day, at least an hour a day. I hope you are, but I know you're not. Maybe we could start and jumpstart each other with some corporate prayer. Everybody wants a new night to do it on, all this... We don't have any more nights. I meet with someone every night. And most nights I meet with more than one person. But you know what I have? I have a sacrificial Sunday morning. <coughs> and we're already opening the church before 6 o'clock. You want to get serious about plundering hell? You want to get serious about being a raiding party? Well, it starts with getting serious about your prayer life because that's where you find the power to do things. That's when you move beyond Holy Ghost chill bumps and move into fully determined actions. I'd invite you to do it. This Sunday, another man's going to preach. So I'll even be here to pray with you. Uh, uh, I won't be locked away studying. I'll be out here pressing in. I hope some of you will join me. I ask you to renew your covenant with the Lord to take a new look at it. He's already been good to you. Has He healed people? Yes. Has He filled people with the Holy Ghost? Yes. Has He saved people? Yes. Yes. And what can you do for a God like that?